It's National Podcast Post Month, day number nine. And day nine of Napod Pomo takes us back to the Old West. This episode was recorded in 2018, and Crazy Train and myself give our third entry into the Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame, arguably the greatest, certainly if not one of the greatest, Western cowboy heroes of all time, the Lone Ranger. Now, what, you may ask? You said this is the Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame. Everybody's heard of the Lone Ranger, so why are you doing a show about a character everyone's heard about? And that is a very good question. While it's true that the vast majority of the people have probably heard of the Lone Ranger, a lot of the tropes associated with heroes that came along since are also in the Lone Ranger. And thus, in our opinion, that makes him a perfect candidate because he was doing stuff that became hero tropes long before they were really known as hero tropes. Again, this is the 30s, no comic superheroes, Nothing of the like that we see all over the place now. And of course, we'll go into more detail in the show. So without further ado, flashback to 2018. Crazy Train and myself talking the Lone Ranger and why he's deserving to be put into the lesser known Geek Hall of Fame. Geekville Radio. Well, that music is iconic to a lot of people. Hello, everybody. This is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, with another edition of the Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame. That is, of course, the piece of music that some people have, you might might say erroneously credited to the Lone Ranger theme, but it's actually March of the Swish Soldiers from the William Tell Overture. And that is our entry into this month's Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame. We are, of course, talking one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic cowboy of all time from from Westerns, the Lone Ranger. And fortunately, I don't have to do it alone. Once again, joining me from a nice padded cell in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train, Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Looking forward to another lesser-known Geek Hall of Fame. I guess uh, we just let the cat out of the bag right out of the chute with that. Uh, you've been playing around on, on social media trying to get people to guess who it was. I, they didn't have to wait but about two seconds in to figure out after that, do they? <laughs> right. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking, and that's uh, why is this supposed lesser-known geek hall of fame talking about the Lone Ranger? It was my thought, actually, when well, we were talking about this uh, off mic and, and when we were brainstorming for ideas, I thought, doesn't everybody know who the Lone Ranger is, and you, you kind of gave me the, the the perfect questions for that. So, Train, if you want to pull back the curtain a little bit about our uh, Lone Ranger discussion, you kind of asked me, you know, how much do I know about the Lone Ranger, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, once again, we're going to let the cat out of the bag a little bit here if we talk about that, but we had discussed uh, an entry of the Green Hornet, which will probably be the next entry. Uh, mm-hmm. If not, it definitely will be somewhere down the road. And I questioned you, did you know that the Lone Ranger and the Green Hornet are actually related? They are blood relatives. And you intimated that you did. But I don't know how many of our listeners know that. And uh, we'll, we'll discuss that as we get into the body of, of who the Lone Ranger is. But suffice it to say, the creators of both the Lone Ranger and the Green Hornet are one and the same. And thus mm-hmm. the relation, which I think is unique in radio, television. I mean, it kind of 
you know, we're in this we're in this day and age of these shared universes. Well, heck, they were doing this back in the 30s, the radio shows. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was just a time jump because obviously the the Lone Ranger was a period piece set in the 1800s during the expansion of America westward past the Mississippi, and the Green Hornet was set in current times, uh, you know, of the 30s when it came out. But that was where we kind of went, and, and I said, you know. I, I as we talked about it, I said, you know, I want to do the Green Hornet. I think the Green Hornet's awesome, but I think we probably need to do the Lone Ranger first because of that. And you said, well, yeah, a lot of people do know the Lone Ranger, but a lot of people don't because other than, you know, the most current movie, which was a disaster, and we'll get to that later, times changed. There weren't the old uh, run uh, <clears throat> reruns that you and I grew up watching or radio shows our parents grew up listening to. So, I mean, he, he like – Every other, you know, the other character we talk about here that predates or is around the same time that the beginning of comics, the Lone Ranger kind of lays a template for certain things that we just take for granted as comic book fans nowadays. And we'll discuss those as we get to those, too. I think that's kind of how our talk went, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And so, folks, if you've heard of the Lone Ranger, but maybe not have seen the TV shows or the movies and such. Over the years, that's where we're kind of aiming this show at, as we do for most of our uh, Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame episodes. We're trying to get into that telling of what the character did for history of heroes and what maybe might have gone into creating these heroes and, you know, and why they uh, can be looked at as, as inspiration over the years. So we really can't tell the story of the Lone Ranger without going into the story of the creators. And like we've talked about in our last couple episodes about the radio station being the main form of entertainment in the early half of the 20th century, really obviously before internet and um, before TV, radio was the main thing people went to for their, their nightly entertainment. And we talked about it with the shadow. Now, while the shadow that show was originally created to sell magazines. Uh, the Lone Ranger was formed as a standalone show with, in, in its own right. And there are two people really that are credited with the creation of the character. And those men are George Trendle and Fran Stryker. George Trendle, I think, has a really interesting upbringing because he was a lawyer early in his, his adult life. He invested in entertainment businesses. He owned several what they would call Nickelodeon theaters. Now, obviously, people of my generation younger, they think Nickelodeon, and they might think of the uh, kids' cable station. But correct me if I'm wrong, Train, by definition, the Nickelodeon theaters, those were those type of small theaters where they might only seat maybe a dozen people or or so. And you, you get a short film for a nickel, five cents, and it might be, you know, like news flashes or something quick, maybe, maybe a cartoon or something like that. It wasn't a full-fledged movie theater because those hadn't truly come along yet. But does that, does that sound right? That it was basically just yeah. a room that you sit in for, for a quick movie, right? Yep. They said they cost a nickel. That's the name, Nickelodeon. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But Trendle would kind of think bigger and better and would go on to help build one of the first movie theaters in the... Detroit area, and went on to own approximately 20 movie theaters and sold them in the late 1920s for a total of about $6 million. 
That's six million dollars in the late nineteen twenties. Said you know in nineteen twenties money. <laughs> you know, right. You know. Right before the crash. Right before the Great Depression. He's mm-hmm. sitting pretty fat. <laughs> yeah, he he was not hurting for cash during the depression. Yeah, because he and, had all his money already in the bank. He didn't have to worry about the stock market crashing. It didn't affect him any. Right. right. Which made him very, very much a minority in that time. Mm-hmm. But he and his business partner had turned to radio and bought a radio station, part of the Columbia Broadcasting System. Those words may sound familiar because they still exist to this day. That's what CBS stands for. That's right. And they bought this station, WGHP, changed the call letters to WXYZ, which sounds kind of funny in its own right, but their I guess their uh, tagline was the last word in radio. And it's catchy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it, it, it's good marketing. And that's really kind of what set the tone for wh- the story we're going to tell here about, about the Lone Ranger. So George Trendle really was kind of a, a renaissance man. You look at what he what he went through. He, he was a lawyer, business owner, theater owner, now radio station owner, and essentially the programmer. That's a lot of feathers to have uh, in your hat, I'd say. But that brings us to Fran Stryker. Now, while Trendle may have been a Renaissance man, Stryker was a writer for all of his life. And he had already been writing Western stories. And he had gotten work for the WXYZ station. And around this time, they started planning for a Western. Because Westerns, of course, in those days, were almost guaranteed hits because... You know, the family could watch them. It was still a period that, for that generation, I think may have been just that kind of era that you can get lost in. I mean, for our generation, I would think it would be not unlike doing a show that maybe took place in the 80s or maybe the 50s or something like that, where if you don't know, if you didn't personally know that era, your parents did or something to that effect. Am I am I making sense here, Train? No, oh, yeah. I, I think a great analogy for the, the current individual would be once again we're going to tie it into to much more known geek stuff it's not that dissimilar to why indiana jones works on a certain level mm-hmm. there's a romanticism to that pre-war the nazis are in power but they haven't started the world war yet uh these you know exotic locales um lots of action a hero you can get behind there's a lot of that in today in our world, which is why Indiana Jones worked, that you could make an analogy to twenties and thirties why Westerns worked. I think you see mm-hmm. the similarities there when I when I draw that comparison. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that actually is a really good comparison. And like I said, if we didn't experience that era, I mean obviously we experienced the eighties, of course, but what I'm getting at is you know, you know, you might have heard the stories from your parents or, or something like that. So you really weren't that far removed from that generation, uh, you know, in the in those days. Now, the origin of the Lone Ranger, the simple question, why is he called the Lone Ranger? Well, yeah, he's lone, but, you know, was he always that way? And Trey, right. I'll, I'll turn it over to you since you know this origin because you're the one that explained it to me here. How would you explain the, the origin of the character, the Lone Ranger, at least as far as the lore goes? Okay. Well, Lone Ranger, is real name is John Reed. And depending on whether you look at the radio shows or the novelizations and novels that Stryker wrote later uh, after the radio show become a hit, the television show or the movies, there's some dissimilarities, but they're, they're, the core of the, of the origin story is the same, which is that John Reed is either a Texas Ranger or riding with the Texas Rangers, a group of six of them, 
who are out to catch an outlaw by the name of Butch Cavendish and his gang. Yes, Texas Rangers are not just a baseball team. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Texas Rangers are the essentially the state police of the state of Texas. They are a real thing, and they've been around going back to the 1840s when it you know was actually its own independent country before they joined the the, the union. Um, and they they still exist to this day, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. I mean, Walker, Texas Ranger, Chuck Norris, that's a real thing. He plays a, a Texas Ranger in that. They they are real, and uh, they are, like I said, they're the state police of the state of Texas. Whether it involves investigating major crimes of a state nature or uh, moving criminals, those you know, like the Marshal Service does at a federal level, they do at the state level in Texas, they're a real thing. And um, yes, part of their, their uniform, even to this day, is a cowboy hat. So anyway, enough about Texas Rangers. So anyway, back to John Reed, the Lone Ranger. He is he's either is riding with him or is a is, is a uh, Texas Ranger himself. I said it depends on which source material you're looking at. They're ambushed uh, in a place called what was it uh, Barnett or Barrett's Gap or something. It's a valley. They get they get ambushed. Yeah, I, I think it's Barrett. Uh, I'll I'll confirm that in a moment. Okay, to the wiki while I continue <laughs> to talk. <laughs> so they're they're ambushed and shot and all left for dead. And riding with John, the leader of this group of rangers, is his older brother, I, who's I think name changes also, but it's usually Charles. Um, and uh, Cavendish and his gang laugh, think they've killed all these rangers after him and leave. Uh, along comes a Comanche Indian by the name of Tonto, who finds one of the 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 victims clinging to life barely and nurses him back to health. And this would be the aforementioned John Reed. And mm-hmm. um, depending on, once again, which source you listen to, Tonto has, has known John Reed in the past, either in childhood or, or John's helped him out. Or some say Tonto's just a good person and doing a good thing. Doesn't matter. He nurses him back to health and he essentially becomes a part of why he's called the Lone Ranger because he kind of tells John, well, you know, you're the Lone Ranger. You're the only one left. And John realizes he can use this to his advantage. And they bury all of the the fallen rangers and um, make a sixth grave and mark it as John Reed, even though it's an empty grave, to give the mystique that John is dead. Uh, should sound familiar to the Phantom a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is always one guy. And we go back to that episode. Uh, and takes before he buries his brother – he takes his black vest that he was wearing in the shootout and cuts a black mask out of it and dons it to hide his identity. And thus the Lone Ranger is born. And uh, in all incarnations, John Reed actually has his own money. He owns a silver mine um, that he is a very fertile vein of silver. And that is how the Lone Ranger finances his exploits as a vigilante. And at first he kind of joins with Tonto to just – seek justice against the Cavendish gang for what they did to his brother and these other rangers. But then as time goes on, it expands to him becoming the prototype vigilante. He just does what's mm-hmm. the right thing to help those that are can't help themselves. And he becomes uh, maybe not chronologically in release of source material, but realistically is one of the first vigilantes chronologically in storyline. Because he predates the shadow. He predates – well, Phantom goes way back, you know. Mm-hmm. So, But, I mean, he goes back a long ways. So, you know, just like the 1860s. Yeah, yeah it, would, it would put it at about the same time because, as we discussed during the shadow episode, it's like the shadow, I think, technically was introduced first. 
but the shadow did not become his own character until right. years after that. You know, for years the radio show just had the intro and outro by the shadow, and I would go into mm. unrelated uh, crime story. But what, is, what I'm speaking about is is the placement of the stories puts him chronologically ahead of mm-hmm. all these others because it's taking oh, yeah. place in the yeah, I get it. Since, in the since we're talking the 1800s yeah, here, not yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. And so that is the Lone Ranger, and and you you can see it's a good origin story. Once again, we've we, with this episode, like you've done with all our previous episodes, and we'll still continue to push when we talk about these precursor characters. You're beginning to see a pattern here that remember this is predating Superman and Batman and all the comic book characters we know. Mm-hmm. Seems like every every vigilante has some kind of tragedy in their life that pushes them into fighting crime, doesn't it? He's a wealthy man who uses his wealth to finance his crime fighting alter ego. That ought to sound familiar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he uses a mask to hide his identity so people don't know who he is. That should sound familiar. He mm-hmm. has a partnership with another individual. That should sound familiar. The Lone Ranger is no different than any of the other characters we're going to talk about or we have talked about. They did it first. They did it before any of the comic book characters we know because they predate them. I just think it's a really cool origin story. And once you've laid the origin story out, it's not hard to write an episodic show on that because there doesn't need to be any big story arc, though there were some during the run of the TV show and the radio show. But you can just have your bad guy of the week and let's figure out how the Lone Ranger brings this guy to justice. You know, that's pretty simple, fair, but hey, it's good storytelling, right? Yeah, and and a lot of shows back then, whether it was by design or not, they did kind of have their beginning, middle, and end all in that episode or in those segments, so to speak. And to answer the previous question we were looking for earlier, it's actually Bryant's Gap, B-R-Y-A-N-T, Bryant's Gap. We had to be right. (laughs) Yeah. Regardless, it doesn't matter. They were ambushed and killed in the valley, and and he faked his own death and made the mask out of the brother's vest, and away we go. For my money, the Phantom had a really cool story. Shadow's just kind of cool. Everybody knows Batman. Everybody knows Superman. I think the Lone Ranger has one of the coolest origin stories out there for masked heroes, personally. God knows it's not as traumatic as seeing your parents die in front of your own eyes. It's not as mm-hmm. traumatic as ha- having your sight taken from you, but your other senses heightened when you're a young boy. You know, it's you're not being exposed to gamma radiation. It's it's a good origin story that you can easily get your mind around. And I guess that's easier for me to stomach because it's an adult dealing with this tragedy, not a kid. I'm sorry. Yeah, it happens to you at eight years old. That's going to mess you up for life. You're going to need some oh, therapy. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And another kind of parallel of sorts with Batman is, you know, Batman did eventually confront his parents' killer, Joe Chill, in, in the original comics back in the 30s, but then continued to be vigilante right. after that. And right. throughout the course of the old radio shows, again, depending on who you listen to or what, what, what lore you got it from, he did eventually capture Butch but then continue to fight crime after that. So, right. So some of the characteristics that the Lone Ranger had, and again, this kind of acts as forerunners to a lot of other vigilante type characters. Uh, he was a marksman with his guns. Now, maybe it was because it was a show that was originally meant for kids. I mean, even though there are a lot of adults who listen to the radio shows, I think the shows as a whole were probably targeted towards kids because, you know, all the toys and, toy guns and things like that that were marketed afterwards. But the ranger rarely, if ever, shot to kill. He would do things like shoot the guns out of assailants' hands. Was never really unmasked. 
he had that silver mine, as we talked before. He didn't drink, didn't smoke. There, there was just kind of that Bible, so to speak, for lack of a better term, kind of like this lexicon or whatever of what the ranger would and wouldn't do or what he couldn't have happened to him from a storytelling standpoint. Am I, am I making sense here, Trainer? Yeah, yeah. In fact, Stryker, uh, you know, when he was writing the character, when they were first you know, coming up with the idea for the show, he essentially set down a, a code of ethics or a moral code that the Lone Ranger would have. And there are a group of sayings. I don't want to say the Ten Commandments, but they're essentially that. And, I, and if you listen to the old radio shows, the Lone Ranger himself says these at certain times. So there's ten of them, I'm, and I'm getting this straight off of the Wikipedia page, but I've seen them in other other places in print. And these are actually from the Lone Ranger's mouth, and I think that kind of gives you an idea of what his moral code was. So I'm no I'm no Clayton Moore or any of the other actors that have played him, but imagine me as the Lone Ranger as I read these. I believe that I have that to have a friend, a man must be one. That all men are created equal and that everyone has within himself the power to make this a better world. That God put the firewood there, but the, every man must gather and light it himself. In being prepared men, physically, mentally, and morally to fight when necessary for what is right. That a man should make the most of what equipment he has. That this government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall live always. That men should live by the rule of what is best for the greatest number. That sooner or later, somewhere... Somehow, we must settle with the world and make payment for what we have taken. That all things change but truth, and that truth alone lives on forever. In my creator, my country, my fellow man. So, I mean, those are the Lone Ranger's words themselves. It's a pretty strict moral code. And I think a lot of people want to paint the Lone Ranger as this kind of milk toast, kind of like they do Superman and stuff. He is not one of these characters that has had the the quote-unquote darkening that we got in the late 80s through today with comic book characters. I kind of like that about the Lone Ranger, but when you read when you read these and you know that he said these himself, they're, they're, they're pretty good words to live by, actually. I mean, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he definitely um, fits into that lawful term good. I like to use so often, lawful good, yeah. I mean, I love the first one. I believe that to have a friend, a man must be one. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's a great say. I mean, a, I mean yeah. you can, these are quotable, you know? I mean, I mean, they're the, I also love the one about the firewood, that God put firewood there, but that every man must gather it and light it for himself. That's kind mm-hmm. of like a take on, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink kind of thing, you know? Right. <laughs> but a, a much more positive spin. I, I mean, I think those are great. Uh, but on top of those, uh, you know, you were talking about a Bible earlier a little backs backstage or behind the curtain for people that don't know. Most of the time when new writers are brought into a popular franchise or, or, or television show or something like that, there is what they call quote unquote, a Bible. In other words, it's the rules that have to be followed uh, as a horror guy. I know that the guys who wrote Freddie versus Jason talked at length about their Bible where they had to take the Bible, so to speak, of the of the Nightmare of Elm Street franchise and the Bible, so to speak, of the Friday the 13th franchise and meld them together to make sure that they didn't disrespect any of the fans of either franchise because this movie was going to rep, was going to be appealing to both of them. Uh, so the term Bible is used a lot in the writing process for television and movies and, and radio shows back in the day. And the Bible that Stryker and Trimble came up with, I think, also kind of give you a, a you know an idea of what the Lone Ranger is supposed to be. So this is not uh, – I don't think the Lone Ranger is necessarily a uh, – uh, he is kind of a, a, a product of his time. But I also think that 
it isn't because the 30s were a simpler time. This was just how it was laid down for entertainment purposes. They were they were saying this is this is what we're shooting for, like you said, with the kids market. So this is what we want to do. And and there was storytelling elements behind why they did it. It wasn't just because they were trying to give you a squeaky clean hero. But anyway, their Bible stated things like the Lone Ranger was never to be seen without his mask or some sort of disguise. He was never to be captured or held at any length of time by lawmen, thus avoiding being unmasked. He always used perfect grammar uh, and uh, precise speech, never using slang or colloquialisms. Uh, he never shot to kill. When he was forced to shoot, he would try to disarm his opponents and do it in the most painlessly way, painless way possible. He was never put in a hopeless situation. He was never to be seen like running from a, 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 a hail of bullets towards the horizon, just barely escaping. Uh, he never referred to himself as the Lone Ranger. If someone uh, was suspicious, he would always he would either present them with a silver bullet, and I became iconic. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Or he or someone else would step up and attest to who he was, and that kind of came a, a catchphrase at the end of all the old television episodes. Who was that masked man? So anyway, mm-hmm. um, uh, even though he even though the Lone Ranger did tend to help like individuals or small groups, the overarching thing they were shooting for was that the objective was always uh, implied that their the help of the individual was just a byproduct. His real thing was to try to help the development of the West or the United States. Um, an interesting thing in their Bible. His adversaries were never to be uh, non-American or foreigners uh, because mm-hmm. they wanted to avoid uh, criticism for minority groups. This is back in the 30s, folks. Okay, yeah, so think, yeah, think about that for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there was a few times they broke the rules. There was a one time. There was one ep- uh, radio episode where they helped out Juarez fight French troops from, of Emperor Maximilian. Um, but other than that, usually uh, foreign agents. But when it was a foreign agent. They never named the country of origin, just that he was from overseas. Um, so that's kind of interesting, I think. In the 1930s, they were thinking that far ahead. Um, the names of unsympathetic characters were carefully chosen, so they never consisted of two names. They're always a they're they're always a, a nickname or a last name. Butch Cavendish being one of the exceptions to that rule. Uh, he, like you mentioned earlier, he's never to drink or smoke. When they showed what would be called saloon scenes in most westerns, they were usually actually you know, cafes where they had waiters and food being served as opposed to liquor and bartenders. Uh, and this is the one I find very interesting because of the world we live in today of gray and antiheroes. Criminals are never to be shown in enviable positions of wealth or power, and they were never they would never be successful or glamorous. Sorry if you mm-hmm. like the, the the Tony Montana remake of of Scarface. You were not going to see that or hear that in a Lone Ranger. You're right. It sounds like they didn't want to make the villains out to be cool villains they wanted their villains to be well villains right and once again i'm going to steal from my favorite the shadow our very first episode of this is the weed of crime bears bitter fruit right (laughs) Mm -hmm. don't ever forget that and and i know a lot of times that people like i said earlier i think people think that this is always a product of the time but when you hear things like we don't want to we don't want to upset uh people from other countries so we're just not going to have them be bad guys or villains they were ahead of their time you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's it's and quite frankly, as a writer and as a creative person myself, sometimes that can be a cop out when you're doing this kind of storytelling. You know, when you're doing an action mm-hmm. adventure kind of based. Well, it's really easy if you're if you're marketing it to an American market. We'll just make the bad guy a Russian or a Chinese individual or somebody from India or the Middle East. It's just it's a cop out, you know. Mm-hmm. So the fact they were they were way ahead. Way ahead. And also, quite frankly. Why would there be a lot of foreigners in West Texas 
in the 1870s. Mm-hmm. There wouldn't be. The only only people I could think that were probably not American at the time would be uh, Mexicans, uh, which makes sense because it borders on the on the nation of Mexico. Uh, there were some French in Mexico at the time, as mentioned earlier, because they were being conscripted out to to the the Emperor Maximilian of Mexico. Maybe some Chinese individuals were working the railroad, but other than that. The vast majority of the people you would see, and I know this from having lived in the Rocky Mountain states and learned their state histories of Utah and Colorado, most of your people out there were white or black. That was it. I mean, it wasn't a lot of diversity beyond that, you know, mostly white people. Mm-hmm. But there was also a significant African-American population. A lot of people don't realize uh, a lot of uh, uh, slaves uh, after they were freed couldn't find work up north or in the south. So they just moved west. So a lot of the early cowboys were, were African-American gentlemen. So um, – you didn't see that, uh, unfortunately, in the television show, and it wasn't alluded to in the radio, but we are talking about a segregated time in America. So, you know, they didn't do that. But they did have a Native American, a real Native American, as his partner, uh, which I think was also way ahead of its time. But we'll get to Tonto in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add to the lawful goodness of, of the Lone Ranger? So while it may kind of sound like that, you know, stay in school, kids, drink your milk and such. Um, I, I think they tried to make that, you know, like you said, you know, the, the white meat baby face. And, and one other thing about the character's name, uh, it does seem like John Reed was settled on as being the, the first name of the character. But I think for the first several years, um, I don't think he had truly a first name. Now, granted, a lot of those early 30s serials are, are gone just because... There, there wasn't, you know, you can't, you couldn't really record off the radio in the 1930s at the time. So unless right. those recordings were preserved in the studio, uh, they're, they're, they're gone. But uh, what I had seen, yeah, yeah what, what, what I had been finding out uh, going through fan pages and, you know, Wikipedia and such is that th- that first name of John was not really decided upon until like, 10 or 15 you maybe 20 years in, into the radio show and there yeah, were yeah, was- yeah there there were the movies and especially the serial movies which didn't really have a connection to the to the radio show but i just think it was kind of interesting that through all all that time I, that the ranger actually didn't have an official first name no, i just no, thought that I was mean, kind I, of an interesting aspect yeah it was well because i think just me speculating here he didn't really need one. He was the Lone Ranger. He was supposed to be a man of mystery. And it probably got retconned in when the need for a visual – I mean, you know, we've talked about before the difference of when you make the jump from radio to television, you're going from an audio medium to a visual medium. If they if they ever show the origin, they're going to have to show the, the empty marked grave, and it's going to have to have a name on it, right? So mm-hmm. – <laughs> I mean, they can just allude to that without mentioning a name in radio. But once you've got it on film and you've got to show it, and I think that's around the time it happened, wasn't it about the time the TV show started? Was when they actually gave him a name? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I think that is when the discussion came into into play of, well, let's let's you know make him related to the Green Hornet, and and I, like I said earlier, and I'll, I'll, I'll I guess I'll talk about it now since I brought it up when. When that happened, you see, my understanding is at least they already knew that Britt Reed was the Green Hornet. And I mentioned earlier that they, 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 these were mostly episodic. It was just a bad guy of the week. There weren't overarching stories, but there were a few. One involved the 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 nephew of the Lone Ranger, Daniel, 
who was a, a sidekick of sorts for a little while, one of the few people that the Lone Ranger actually took his mask off and, and told him who he was and related to him. Uh, and that, that was an overarching story. But uh, the Daniel character is the one that they use from this overarching storyline they had in the to relate him to the Green Hornet. Daniel eventually grew up, got married, and he is the he is the I want I think he's the the uncle or I can't know he's the I can't remember what he is, but he he he's somehow directly related to the Green Hornet, Britt Reed, which makes yeah. the Lone Ranger Britt Reed's great uncle. Mm-hmm. You know. So, because so, I think that's that, that's the relationship, though, is that the Lone Ranger John Reed is the great uncle of Britt Reed, the Green Hornet. They're not like yeah. grandfather or anything, but that's still really cool to me. You're yeah. talking it, a shared universe. What sixty? I mean, Justice League was sixty-one. Is that right? Sounds about right. Yeah, but basically into the uh, uh, into the Silver Age, essentially. Yeah, so you're you're predating that by what thirty, thirty-five plus years. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff, you know. Yeah, I don't know if the brother that was also the ranger that that died in the the ambush. I don't know if that was supposed to be Dan's father or not, or if there was another brother involved in the Reed family that would have been Dan Reed's father. But um, it, it, hey, if you're if you're listening to this and you have any information on that, definitely let us know. We can be found at geekvilleradio.com. Geek for Radio on Facebook and on Twitter. If you go to the website, there, there's a comment section there. And any of the plethora of social media pages for Geekville Radio, if, if you happen to know whether Dan Reed was the son of the, the Reed brother that, that died at the, the, you know, during the origin, I'd definitely like to know uh, whether it is or whether it isn't because I, I wasn't able to get any confirmation either way. My understanding is that it is, that that's the, the, the overall, the, the overarching story I was talking about <laughs> has to deal with, um, George or Charles, depending on which source you go from, right? The older brother that dies in the ambush. He had a young, he had a young son, like infant son when the massacre happened and, okay. and, a, and a young wife. And then a woman who is a recurring character in the, in the radio show, and I believe in the television show as well, grandmother, something, she has a different last name. It's not Reed. Somehow the mother, I think the mother and the and the son, unfortunately, with no with, without you know George or Charles to protect them, I believe the, where they're living gets ambushed by a war party of one of the Native American tribes, one of the American Indian tribes, and she winds up the the wife dies and the son is abandoned and she takes him up and during his course of of doing good deeds, the Lone Ranger runs across her. She reveals to her on her on, on to him on his deathbed exactly who this who Daniel is, and thus that's the overarching story, and that's when he takes the mask off and and I, I think it's a, it's a key part to the the history of the Lone Ranger because it gave him a family, you know, mm-hmm. and and it seemed to be um, once again uh, template precursor. A lot of major storylines in comic books involve the hero you've come to know and love finding out they have a long lost family member, right? right? Whether it's you know, uh, I mean, a big one for me is the Green Green Arrow. You know, when he finds out that he has Connor Hawk as his mm-hmm. son. You know, that's yeah. a, that's a big one if you're a fan of that that particular comic book and that title. Uh, so I mean, it's 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 kind of cool, but nonetheless i think that story had always been written and it was later retconned back in that daniel was the connection between lone ranger and green hornet yeah if you follow what i was saying earlier but that yeah. is the backstory so if you're wondering now you got it so there you go okay <laughs> <laughs> 
pretty cool stuff if you think about it. Though. It really is. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. So this radio show was listened to by millions uh, nationwide. It, it had branched out from Detroit to other affiliate stations. I also thought it was kind of funny that a Western, you know, something m- more associated with, you know, the South and such, that it, it got to start in Detroit. I mean, that seems like a little bit of an oxymoron. Yeah, you would think the Lone Ranger would be like a, a Phoenix or or Dallas mm-hmm. or Denver or something, a station out of Salt Lake City, a station like L.A., some out west. Not yeah, it is funny. That is that yeah. is kind of kind of kind of humor. You know, I you know I had brought up when we did the Shadow episode that the Shadow was my dad's favorite radio show. Well, guess what the second favorite radio show was growing up? The Lone, Lone Ranger. Ranger. <laughs> yep they played they played them back to back. Apparently he was it, when he listened to that episode and gave me his feedback and corrected me on a couple of slight errors we had. <laughs> mm-hmm. He I go to the source. He listened to it when it was during its original run. But he had a uh, I believe it was his grandfather or his great uncle would come over to the house every Sunday night uh, for you know after church Sunday dinner, which of course in the South is mid Sunday afternoon and then they would retire to the living room and um, they turn on the radio and the back-to-back shows that the station the radio station there in Columbia South Carolina had was the shadow and the Lone Ranger and those were my dad's two favorite shows so the Lone Ranger has a, a bit of a personal place in my heart like the shit not as much as the shadow but I mean they're a part of my family's history you know that it was mm-hmm. my dad it really the shadow and the Lone Ranger are those things that they were to my father what Ghost Rider and Spider-Man and Batman would become to me, you know? So that's kind of mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. But from the mid-30s to the, the mid-50s, I think, it was really about a 20-year run that the radio show had. But fast-forwarding a little bit to the, uh, the late 30s, there were two movie serials. You know, these are the things that, you know, they might be 10-minute long movie clips that you might see in a theater and you know, really like like the old Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and and all that other stuff. And all that other stuff. Saturday morning serials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there there were two of those about the Lone Ranger. Now, what is interesting about these, and we'll cover a little bit more when we do Green Hornet. Uh, these serials, the, the modern day term would be that they're not canon. Uh, they were not officially written by Fran Stryker. I think he may have been credited with creating such, but it was actually a completely unrelated studio that did them. Now, one thing that I thought was kind of cool was the the first one from 1938 was they had about four or five different cowboys. And I think depending on how you watch it or how you, they, you interpret it, it's like they don't decisively show which cowboy was the Lone Ranger. So it could have been like either one of these three or four guys. And then a year or two later, they had the Lone Ranger rides again, where the Ranger was given the name Bill Andrews. Again, not canon since John Reed is is the official name. But we we've talked about this now with every episode with every episode we've done at Lester Geek Hall of Fame. I, maybe our listeners don't understand when I say Saturday morning serials. Uh, people the age of my father, you know, children of the Depression and children of the '40s and post-war baby boomers. Uh, they obviously television hadn't come to come to be yet um they didn't have saturday morning cartoons like you and i grew up on they didn't have the internet and other stuff the kids have today saturday morning serials was their form of entertainment i thought well, maybe we should explain that for further reference you would take mm-hmm. your run i mean my, my father would tell the story of him and his older brother could go to the movie and i can't remember how much it was very little amount of money that their mother that my grandmother would give them but i think it was like two dollars 
for both of them. And that got them into the theater, got them a Coca-Cola and a popcorn and enough for a soda and, and, and a cheeseburger at the, the lunch counter afterwards. But they would go at like nine in the morning on Saturday and there would be a a series of cartoons like the Merry Melodies and Looney Tunes that we all love today. That's where these came from. Uh, and also they were before movies. And there would be three or four of like the Lone Ranger, Flash Gordon. A lot of the characters we'll be talking about on Lester Geek Gnome Hall of Fame had these Batman and Robin had one done. Um, where they were, like you said, these little 10-minute shorts, and they were episode- They were called serials because they were episodic. You had to come the next week to see the continuation. They always ended on a cliffhanger. And mm-hmm. much like the much like television uh, series of today or like you know the Netflix and streaming services stuff, they were 13 to 24 episodes. So that's what we were saying when we said that's Lone Ranger moved into that, and neither one of those are canon. So that's just a little tidbit of history for those that didn't know what we were talking about. It was – you know, amazing dad, like some dad could go for two hours on mm-hmm. very little money and, and, you know, with his brother, both underage, ride a bus <laughs> from the mm-hmm. suburbs of Columbia to downtown Columbia, South Carolina, sit by themselves with no adults. That would never happen today. Never happened today. Right. But, you know, uh, and for these, for kids, my dad's age and his brother's age, that's really cool because they grew up listening to this stuff on radio. Now they're getting to see it on the big screen. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. think of the excitement we have nowadays when we finally got to see Iron Man or, 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 or even on the small screen, we get to see the Arrowverse and stuff like that. That was really cool to these guys. I mean, we at least got to look at the comic books and see the pictures. These guys just in their minds, they had something envisioned and then they get to see it on screen. But anyway, I digress. Right. Right. Absolutely. But um, moving on from the serials in 1949, there began the famous Lone Ranger TV show. And now TV, of course, was still very much new in the late 1940s. I don't really know when TV kind of became the norm. I guess that probably would have been somewhere in the 50s. But uh, the Lone Ranger does have the distinction of being the first televised Western because Gunsmoke didn't come along until 55, I want to say. And there were other stuff, you know, Rawhide and such. but, But the Lone Ranger was the first televised Western ever to air. And that also captivated kids for, I think it was, it was like an eight or nine year run. And Trent, I know you know a little bit about uh, that, that show because that's really where the actor most closely associated with the role came to prominence. Now, he, he'd had work before Lone Ranger. He'd been in a lot of Westerns before. But Clayton Moore is the person that people of that era then would just most naturally associate with the Lone Ranger because not only was he doing the TV show, he actually did two feature films uh, with the same cast. So it was one of those cases where you wouldn't really see that now, but I don't think it was too terribly unusual back in those days to have a TV show that also had movies. I think even Batman did that in the Adam West days. But right. you know, you had an actor playing the character both on the small screen and the big screen. Right. And I think when you when you speak the Lone Ranger, I think this era, the black and white and then in the, in the in the last I think maybe last year the run of the show, I think it might have been color, but it was pretty much black and white its whole run. I think that is probably in pop culture when you say the Lone Ranger, that is what people envision, no matter what generation they're of. Um Clayton Moore, uh with you know, the white horse named Silver, the black mask, the white hat. His 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 partner Tonto, the Comanche Indian uh, on the paint horse named Scout. I mean, they just very iconic. 
you know, um, I, both Clayton Moore and Jay Silverheels, who played Tonto, were stuntmen. Uh, both were athletic guys. Um, Clayton Moore, I, I believe, was a baseball player. He even played some semi-pro baseball, but had done a lot of stunt work. Like you said, had been in, in westerns. So he was a he, big he man. Like oh, he's big man. He was like six three and like two twenty. So he was a, he was not a small guy, you know. Um, that roughly puts him at the size of Stone Cold Steve Austin for our current listeners to give you an idea. Not a small guy. Jay Silverheels uh, was an actual Native American. He was born on a reservation in Ottawa, Canada. He is he is a he is of a Mohawk descent. He is a true uh, an, an American Indian. Uh, got his start actually playing uh, indoor lacrosse. Was a very talented lacrosse player. He's, he's in the Canadian Lacrosse Hall of Fame. So he was quite a good uh, lacrosse player in the 30s before he moved into television and 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 movies and stuff like that. Um, I just think you know, and he also not a small guy, uh, not not as big as Clayton Moore, but maybe what an inch inch or two shorter, maybe 20 pounds lighter, mm-hmm. but but you know, so probably about six one, 200 pounds, not a small guy, uh, just two big rugged looking guys. Um, once again, I, I can't I can't not talk about Tonto and Jay Silverheels. I think when you talk templates, um, this wasn't a sidekick. I think the Lone Ranger and Tonto saw each other as equals. No, yeah. one was. That's kind of become a comic trope that you know. I think in today's politically correct world, oh, it's the white guy ordering the the the, the man of color around. I, it was never presented that way to me when I watched the show. Did you ever perceive it that way? About the being an equal versus being a sidekick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, like I said, I think, I think it's a comic trope, but I, I, I think they're mm-hmm. off base there. Yeah, I, think, I, you know, I don't think it's it's truly fair to say he was the sidekick, especially because character of Tonto. I guess we can kind of move into our Tonto talk here, but yeah. Tonto was created shortly after the start of the series because they, in in the radio show days, they realized that the hero needs somebody to talk to. Talk to, yeah. Yeah, now that is ultimately, from a storytelling standpoint, the reason why a lot of partners or sidekicks or whatever you want to call them are created. I mean, Robin in the Batman comics is is a perfect example. Robin was created so that Batman would have somebody to talk to, and then Robin could think to himself and explain to us, the reader, a simplified version of Batman's plans. You know, it was that way to kind of dumb down this amazing detective mind to something kids can read. I'm not saying Tonto was there to dumb down anything. I think Tonto was there to have the heroes have somebody to talk to and you can then plan. It makes, it makes executing the plan easier. But when we're talking about Tonto, I believe it was in the lore. It was added in after Tonto was created. And again, it depends on, on, which element of lore you look into, but that Tonto actually was helped by John Reed before he became the Lone Ranger, before the, the ambush happened. I believe it, uh, John Reed had saved Tonto's life or helped him in, in some capacity. So when Tonto came to the site of the ambush and saw that John Reed was still alive, Tonto nursed him back to health because, you know, this is what he did to me or he, he helped me. So I am now returning the favor to him. And I think that alone makes him more than just a sidekick that right, basically right. saved the guy's life as a thank you. Right. And I, I, another part of the, the mythos and, and lore of the Lone Ranger, of course, is his horse, Silver. 
in some incarnations, it's Tonto that gives him silver, you know, the white horse. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, there's others where, uh, you know, the Lone Ranger breaks a white horse and the, the horse stays with him out of loyalty. Um, but regardless, you know, um, I think, I mean, as much as the Lone Ranger and Tonto are iconic, Silver and then Scout, the paint horse that Tonto rides, are just about as iconic, aren't they? I mean, they're, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're cats kills a cowboy. You can't. You can't, you know, and, and once again, contrary to popular belief, there's an example of a cowboy and a Native American working together, not fighting each other, which I did happen in movies. Don't get me wrong. That happened in movies, you know, a lot in that time frame. But it, not all of all Westerns, but some, a lot of times cowboys and Indians work together, not mm-hmm. against each other. Right. I think one of the most iconic pieces of, of Tonto that obviously has become a part of pop culture is Kimosabi. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was a made up word by Stryker. But it has its roots, my understanding, in uh, Chippewa, I believe, somewhere one of the Iroquois nations um, with uh, a similar word, Gimasabi, but it basically means like trusted scout or trusted friend. I do know uh, through a friend of the family who, uh, long story short, he is actually uh, a Navajo Indian, uh, pure blood, who worked uh, in during World War II as a uh, cryptologist. Uh, that was a real thing that happened. Uh, for whatever reason, Navajo language is the hardest language for any other language of the world to to translate, and we could broadcast it over the airwaves unsolicited, and the, the Nazis couldn't figure it out. So we rec- we as a government recruited, we being the United States, uh, many young Navajo Indians to be these uh, code breakers and code talkers. And we knew one of those when I, when I grew up, was growing up in Denver. He was a friend of my father. Uh, he explained to me um, that uh, Kimosabi actually is a, is, is, there's a similar term also in, in Navajo uh, that means good friend. So, I mean, yes, it was made up by, by striker, but it, it, but you know, it is, it, it has its roots in real native American languages. And I think you say Kimosabi to anybody nowadays, they know that, Roughly, it means good friend or trusted friend. So that mm-hmm. that's kind of cool, you know, that they actually <laughs> wasn't it, – it, it, it does have some roots in real Native American stuff. So um, just, you know, another interesting point too, I, I, I just – trivia here. Um, <laughs> when I brought up Silver and, and Scout and, the, and, you know, the, the horses they rode, those were something Tonto brought in. Jay Silverhills in real life raised horses. That was his hobby and passion outside of acting. Did you know that? I did not know that. Mm-hmm. He, owned a horse, he owned a horse ranch. He also wrote poetry too. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty, pretty Renaissance guy. <laughs> yeah, I think you find a, a lot. I think you find a lot of a lot of actors, especially from that era, were Renaissance men. Um, mm-hmm. Not like today, where it's just a pretty smiling face. But I mean, I think Clayton Moore, though. I mean, once you move away from Jay Silverhills and the Tonto talk, Clayton Moore, I think, is like I said, I think what everybody envisions is the Lone Ranger, this tall, uh, you know, quiet but strong man, broad shoulders big barrel chested chested guy and you said earlier he wasn't uh, unfamiliar uh to acting he had done acting in westerns but he also did he play zorro at one time too mm-hmm. yeah it was actually uh the ghost of zorro movie from a few years before that's what essentially got him the lone ranger role was i think it was uh trendle himself saw zorro and thought uh, th- this guy can be my lone ranger 
Uh, he just saw a big, good-looking, tall guy in a mask. <laughs> figured he, mm-hmm. he pulled this off. <laughs> Makes sense. And, and once again, spoiler warning: Zorro is is on the, on the docket too. You will you will get a Zorro at some point down the road on Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm assuming that you grew up watching the Lone Ranger black and white shows like I did. It played on reruns in Chicago Land. Yeah, I'd seen a few reruns here and there. Uh, I think the main station that would have shown them, it would have been either Channel 60 or Channel 66 before it became a, a Spanish channel. But the the WPWR was the station that would show a lot of those. And all these years later, it's now the CW affiliate. Huh. Back in the early 80s, it was all just local UHF programming and, and syndicated stuff. Uh, Lone Ranger was my lead in when I was a, a, a child in Denver and I can't remember the station for the life of it, but I remember I had to switch channels when I would come home. I would, I would get my snack go outside for a while and come back in. And Lone Ranger was the first thing I'd watch. It was always on, it was, it was Beverly Hillbillies, Lone Ranger and then the Beverly Hillbillies. And then I had to switch it over. Cause about the time they were done was when, um, Sesame Street and Electric Company started on PBS. Yeah. So I grew up watching Lone Ranger. So it was it was on reruns in the seventies and the eighties. It's been around for I I you know, I mean, Clayton Moore, Jay Silverheels, the picture of the two of them, that that's just that's that's pure American pop culture to me. I, I don't know what you, what what say ye. I think it is probably more for you than it is for me, just because you watched more than I did, but I'm I'm sure had I uh watched watched the show as regularly as you did, I'd probably think think along the same way. But Talking about these other adaptions here, uh, there were the film serials, there there were, of course, comic books, novels, most of which I believe Fran Stryker did actually write. And comics were blends of the the daily strips that got adapted in a comic book format similar to uh, The Phantom. You had that uh, eight years or so of the TV show, two feature films starring Clayton Moore. So really just about any type of entertainment medium that you could think of, whether it be TV, books, comics, uh, radio, movies, The Lone Ranger has been there in in some capacity. And while it might not be as prevalent uh, today, I'm sure pretty soon we're going to get into that, uh, shall we say, interesting take on (laughs) Lone Ranger in the movie from a a few years ago. But before that, right around the time we got uh, into the late 70s, and I think you know more about this than I do, Train, but we're getting into what became The Legend of the Lone Ranger in the early 1980s. Now, I never saw this movie. I do remember seeing clips of it. I think I remember, like, Siskel and Ebert reviewing it. Bashing it, probably. And I remember seeing the posters and didn't quite follow that this was a retelling of or remake of a previous character. So... There was a lot of controversy leading into the 1981 film. I think you, you had said, Trent, that uh, the contra- controversy actually started before the film was made, but it, yeah, it deals yeah, with Clayton sure Moore. Yeah, I, I think, step back a second before I get into Clayton Moore and the, and the lawsuit and all that stuff, the controversy over the first movie. I think the Lone Ranger probably separates himself from a lot of the, the characters that we're going to talk about on Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame because he is, like you have said, a lot of the ones we're going to talk about, they either were radio or comic or that was it. And then they might have had a movie or two made. He is truly one of the characters that spanned all the different mediums. You know, we've had radio. like You, you just listed them all. So that makes him a little different than anybody else, which is probably why he is so iconic. Uh, but uh, like we said, once he became a visual medium with television, Clayton Moore came, became inexorably linked to 
the Lone Ranger and the image of the Lone Ranger, he was doing what were essentially cons before cons existed in the 60s and 70s, county yeah. fairs, state fairs. He would come in his full Lone Ranger get-up, sign autographs, um, you know, picture, you know, photo ops, stuff like that, and was really beloved from what I understand. Clayton Moore was, was quite a charming man, you know, and it really, you know, took on the role and wanted to be a positive role model, and the, and the, the people loved him. I mean, he was the Lone Ranger. And uh, somehow, uh, by the late 70s, a man by the name of Jack Rather had purchased the media uh, conglomerate that was, uh, that was Trimble's. And uh, that included owning the radio station. And, and he owned the rights to, at that point, he owned the rights to Lone Ranger and the Green Hornet. I think he was one of the associate producers on later on uh, on the Green Hornet television show in the 60s. Um, he, in the back of his mind, always knew he wanted to do a, a movie adaptation of the Lone Ranger, maybe almost what we would call today a, a reboot or a remake, you know, kind of mm-hmm. give the origin story. I think with 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 an eye on the idea for a franchise. Um, and he was worried because Clayton Moore was at this time like mid-60s, like 64, 65, and was still appearing in public all the time as a Lone Ranger. So he slapped him with a lawsuit trying to prevent him from going to these public outings and claiming to be the Lone Ranger and dressing like the Lone Ranger and wearing the mask and all that stuff. And Clayton Moore countersued. countersued. Uh, and while it was in litigation, I mean, Clayton Moore would still make his appearances. He just would wear these wraparound sunglasses instead of the, <laughs> instead of the mask, which was essentially looked exactly the same. But mm-hmm. he, was, uh, he, was, he eventually won the case and was able to start wearing the stuff again in the mid-'80s. Uh, but it, the negative backlash to Rayther was bad. This was a very beloved character who was iconic in many people's eyes. And the time frame we're talking here, late seventies, early eighties, the people that grew up listening to the radio show or watching the television show are now in their forties, thirties and forties. Those are people, you know, these are adults who you're messing with their nostalgia. Now they're not happy. Uh, but eventually the movie did come to fruition and was, like you said, made in 1981 called The Legend of the Lone Ranger. He cast uh, – they cast a British man, I believe, to play the Lone Ranger, and he was so, his accent was so heavy. They had to dub it over, and it was obvious it was dubbed. Uh, but I saw the movie so – I was like 11 years old, and my father took me to see it because – he was a big fan of Lone Ranger. He grew, one of those people I was talking about in his 40s who grew up on the Lone Ranger. Dad turned 40 in 1981. And um, I loved the movie, but I was 11 years old. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure if I was to go back and watch it again, I would probably go, what a piece of garbage. But I mean, I liked it so much that I, I got that next year, I got a Legend of Lone Ranger lunchbox to replace my Dukes of Hazard lunchbox. What does that tell you? <laughs> uh, I mean, it was, it was, I, I thought it was a little bit more of a serious take on the, on the character. They do show the, the origin. They show the ambush. They show the, 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 the you know, the, the gunning down of the Rangers. It, it probably would have gotten a PG 13 rating had PG 13 existed at the time. Uh, it was, there wasn't a lot of, there was no nudity. There was, there was not a lot of coarse language, but there was some graphic violence in it. And, and let's be honest, the origin story of the Lone Ranger is pretty graphic. You know, guys getting mowed down and in 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 by a hail of bullets in a, in a, inside a, a narrow canyon is going to be less than, than neat. It's going to be quite messy. So, you know, and they show it. But, I mean, as far as for me and as an 11-year-old, getting to see the origin story, it was cool for me. I liked it. Um, 
the some of the supporting cast are, are you know or were pretty good. I the Butch Cavendish character, of course, is obviously important to the origin of Lone Ranger, played by Christopher Lloyd. And this would have been post Taxi, but pre Back to the Future. And right. seeing him play a bad guy was kind of cool, you know. Uh, if you've ever seen uh, Star Trek Three, uh, Search for Spock, as and Christopher Lloyd as a Klingon, you get mm-hmm. an idea how good a villain he can be. He's pretty good, you know. Right. Uh, he's he, uh, and then the after the Cavendish story is wrapped up, the second half of the movie, or actually it is in the whole movie, the the, the main storyline involves Cavendish's gang kidnapping. President Grant, Ulysses S. Grant. So that would have placed this in the 1880s because that's when he was president. Uh, and he was played by Jason Robards. So those are two pretty good actors, you know, uh, and, and key role. Decent, decent cast. It just commercially and critically bombed. And I think a lot of that was a backlash against them not having Clayton Moore involved at all. Not in the marketing or and, and the, the lawsuit. It, it was meant to try to help and it actually wound up hurting Jack Rayther. It really did. Uh, my dad, who grew up on the Lone Ranger, he's from that era I'm talking about. Like I say, he turned 40 in 1981 when the movie came out. He had mentioned, boy, I sure wish Clayton Moore could have had a role in this, even if it was just a cameo. And I think right. it would have been a nice little nod to the hat, nod of the hat. We get that. I mean, it's like the Stan Lee cameos we get in the Marvel mm-hmm. movies now, right? right? It's like having Lou Ferrigno in the, in, in the Hulk. It's like mm-hmm. having Linda Carter as the president of the United States and Supergirl. This is a, it, it was like that one episode of Smallville where they had Tom Wopat come back driving the Charger and was friends with the John Schneider character. It's stuff like that, you know? Right. I think we, we've come to expect that, and I th- I think they were expecting that way back in 1981, and, and, the, and the lawsuit, obviously, a lot of feelings are hurt, didn't didn't happen. So, you know, uh, it, 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 it did not work. But that would be not be the first time or, or, or the last time they would attempt to bring the Lone Ranger to, to the silver screen. I think you know more about the next one. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I, I will confess that uh, I actually have not watched the, uh, the whole movie. I meant, I meant to watch it before doing this, but I am, was trying to find any decent review of it, so, so to speak. But um, yeah, and, you know, of course, what we're getting at uh, about five years ago, 2013, there was a big budget adaption of the Lone Ranger, most famously having Johnny Depp uh, in the role of Tonto. And the story goes that they had originally approached Johnny Depp of playing the Ranger, but Johnny Depp was like, well, I have Native American her- heritage. I should be playing Tonto. And then they cast uh, Army Hammer as the Lone Ranger. And I don't know if it was part of it because the movie, I think, lost money in the long run because it had something like a $200 million budget. And... Just looking at that, I'm like, why do you need two hundred million dollars to make a western? Yeah, well, because you know, got you got to have explosions, Sheko vision, and American flags everywhere, right? <laughs> uh, anyway, I I don't think the movie was very well received, uh, and I I can't say that it was a wrong time or a bad idea to reboot the Lone Ranger because it seems just about everything gets rebooted at, at some point. But it just seemed to be like the classic case of Hollywoodizing and jumpstarting something with a lot of action and a lot of explosions and stuff like that, where it loses the base of what the character is all about. Because all these classic Lone Ranger stories that we're talking about, he wasn't saving the world or, you know, saving the country or anything like that. It was usually from town to town. Yeah, of course, it was probably a bad guy of the week, 
because that's what was the formula in those days. Right. But in the end, I think the ranger was there about helping people more so than saving the world or, or anything like that. I think trying to tr- make a character like that as this big budget, grandiose, uh, you know, the, the the future is in danger type character, I think kind of defeats the the purpose of what the character really is. I mean, am I making sense there? Oh, yeah. I I, asked, I think one of the major parts was, whereas the, the 1981 might have been a little too might have been a little a little too you know adult hmm. yeah i think you had the opposite with 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 the with the the later one the 2013 where he essentially it was it was all it was a kind of there was a lot of slapstick comedy elements to it i mean i know it's hard to find a, a balance you know sometimes but it it's just yeah <laughs> sometimes sometimes you can't find a balance and it doesn't seem like either one of those movies did and and You've got the similar problems. You've got a non-American playing a very American role in Clinton Spilsbury in the, in, in the Legend of the Lone Ranger having to be dubbed in. That didn't help. And then you've got a guy who's obviously white playing a Native American uh, character. So, yeah. Uh, and just for the record, just I did a little quick research in while we were talking here. The original Legend of the Lone Ranger with Jay Silverhills and Clayton Moore has a 56% audience rating with no Rotten Tomatoes. Because it's not unavailable. There's nothing available for the 1981, and <laughs> and, and it stands at 31% rotten on uh, <laughs> right now, the the Lone Ranger with with Johnny Depp. So obviously, the of the three, the original Clayton Moore, Chase Silverhills is doing head and shoulders better than the other two. And I, I think that went without <laughs> saying, but you know, I just figured for for what the heck? While we were talking, I I said let me slip that in my phone and pull that up on Rotten Tomatoes just 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 to prove our point. So there you go, folks. So you said you've you've not seen either one of the movies and you don't plan to see either one of them, do you? I'll probably I, I honestly I probably have more interest in watching the 81 movie than I would the the 2013 one just because I I'm afraid I would pick apart the the 2013 one too much. In in Army Hammer's defense, I know he's not American. I think Army Hammer wasn't a bad choice. I think he could be an okay Lone Ranger. He looks good in the suit. Right. It just takes it, 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 it wrong script. It was just I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, Lone Ranger is 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 so iconic. He to me is just one of the greatest um, characters of all time. Like I said, I love his origin story. I think he's a template for the team up. Uh, you know, we talked off Mike how Tonto and Lone Ranger is not that dissimilar from like Green Arrow, Green Lantern, or Batman, Nightwing. You know, the adult Dick Grayson, uh, it, where it's a it's a true partnership. Uh, the rich guy. The, the you know doesn't the no kill clause i love they left the silver bullet we didn't mention when we when we had it on the iconic music is of course the william tell overture by by giancomo rossanini uh it's the uh, uh, that was on the radio show one just on the television show um mm-hmm. it's um i think it, a lot of people don't even know that that's they don't know that's the william tell overture that rossanini wrote it they just know oh, that's the lone ranger music you know right uh, and it was one of those things where i think weren't tremble and striker just trying to find something that fits the tone and it was in the public domain because it was classical right. music yeah yeah that's exactly right uh a lot of radio shows in those days uh and i'm sure maybe even in tv and movies to to an extent would use actual classical music because it was royalty free. So they would just find something that would fit the mood and and run with it. 
And, and this is no disrespect to Danny Elfman's Batman theme or John Williams' Superman theme. They're great. They're all, those two of the best, you know, original scores ever for a, a hero type. I love them. I, I, I like uh, who was it that did the the, the Nolan uh, Batman? Those were great too. I love the I love the the, the theme songs to the Arrow and Flash and the Arrowverse stuff. Mm-hmm. No hero has a cooler theme song than the Lone Ranger. <laughs> William Tell Overture is awesome. You just want to yell charge when you hear it. You know? Yeah, the only thing that even comes close, and we'll get to this later uh, in another episode, is the Fly the Bumby by Al Hurt for Green Hornet. <laughs> that's, that's like one and two. And isn't it funny that they're related? But, but I, I mean, I know we're getting ready to wrap up. Um, if you have any questions about the Lone Ranger or, you, or we left anything out, let us know. Because I have an immense amount of respect for Lone Ranger. He's right behind the shadow for me for these earlier guys. I, I love the Lone Ranger. He's really cool. I'll leave on on this. This is how iconic he is, and especially Clayton Moore. Jay Silverheels and Clayton Moore both have stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, as they should be. Like you said, it was the first Western television show, right? They're both in the Western Heritage Hall of Fame and Museum in Oklahoma City. But Clayton Moore has something really, really cool. Clayton Moore is the only actor on all those stars that you see on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He's the only one that has his name and the character he played. If you go to his star, it says Clayton Moore dash the Lone Ranger. I think that kind of sums up what I think of the Lone Ranger and who the Lone Ranger is in my eyes. But anyway, I digress. But but Kimosabi, this has been fun. I've enjoyed this one. And we hope you've enjoyed this look into the Lone Ranger and why we believe he is worthy of being put in the Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame. We are Geekville Radio. You can find us at geekvilleradio.com, the podcast platform of your choosing, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and the like, social media. We can be found on Facebook and Twitter slash X, as well as Instagram at Geekville Radio. Give us a like, give us a follow, give us a review. Let us know what we're doing well. Let us know if we can improve on anything. I'm always looking for ways to make these shows better, and what better way to Find out how to make them better, then listen to what our listeners have to say. And as we talked about at the beginning of this episode, we will be following up with The Green Hornet. That will be tomorrow's episode for Day 10 of National Podcast Post Month, a.k.a. Podcast, a.k.a. Napod Pomo. We're going to power down the lights here in the Geekly Radio Studios, and we'll be back tomorrow with a look at The Green Hornet. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any products or services unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests do not reflect the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, the Wrestling Brethren podcast, family, or any of their affiliates. Some media used in Geekville Radio is the product of their respective copyright holders, all rights reserved. Cloud of dust and a hearty high-o silver, the Lone Ranger. <laughs>